It ends with a question, does it not? What more could God say? What more could he say than what he has already said? What could be added to that which God has already spoken to us in his word? Over the course of the next uh, Lord's Days, uh, for our morning, the Lord willing, we'll be dealing with the subject of that word of God, the scriptures. This morning, we'll be examining what it is. What is the Word of God? Next Lord's Day, why it matters. What's its purpose following upon that? What to do with it? And then as we approach uh, Reformation Day, we'll consider the Scriptures and the fight for it. But this morning it's, what is it? What, What is the Word of God? We turn this morning then to a very familiar passage, but we'll read it in the context that it's given to us of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And just note once again that uh, a message such as this this morning, some may say, well, that doesn't have much relevance to our world and culture. But listen to the context in which Paul gives us this word. And as we read these opening verses, I'm sure you're going to be thinking, this is today. This wasn't the society of Paul. This this is what life is like today. Yes, it is. It was the day of Paul. It was the day of Calvin. It was the day of Huss. It was the day of Luther. It was the day of Knox. It was the day of Machen, and it is our day as well. 2 Timothy chapter 3, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the the Lord rescued me. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, 
Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Let's start the reading of God's Word. Let's again ask for God's blessing upon it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for the scripture that you've provided for us. We read in Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? We thank you for this scripture that you have provided for us, a guide for our lives, we ask that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he explains this portion of Scripture to us. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you, brother. I want to look at three things from this text. First of all, that the Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures, is God-breathed. That, the first thing from our text. The second thing is that the Bible is revelation. The Bible reveals something to us that we could not see on our own. And thirdly, and we'll cover this but briefly because we'll come back to it in the weeks that follow, the Bible is truth. But it's important that we at least touch upon that as Paul does here as well. The Bible is God-breathed. The Bible is a revelation. The Bible is truth. What is the word of God? What more can he say than to you he has said? Why? Because the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God is God breathed. Now some of you may be holding in your hands a different versions than perhaps an ESV or an NIV. If you have a, perhaps a King James or a New King James or another version, you, that phrase will read in verse 16, all scripture is inspired. But the Greek word that's used there does not really mean inspired. It, it, it leads to that, but it is much more dramatic. It is much more it is much more poignant than inspired. Particularly because the, the way we use the word inspired 
in our day and in our age today. We, we could go to Lake Michigan and we could watch a sunset and we could say, well, that was inspiring, meaning it, it brought about some feelings within us. It, it brought about some emotions. It brought about perhaps some memories. We, we perhaps uh, hear somebody read a piece of poetry and we say, wow, that was inspiring. That was inspirational. It, it was something that, that made us want to do something. It made us want to perhaps applaud. Uh, maybe it wanted to make us laugh or smile or maybe it brought tears to our eyes. Perhaps when we sing a hymn. We, we hear that hymn and we hear God's people raise that beautiful hymn and psalm of praise and we go, ah, oh, that was inspiring. So when we use it here, we, we might tend to think, well, God inspired. Yeah, he, he gave guys some motivation. Some, some men were motivated to do some writing. And what Paul wrote for us as the word of God, is that all scripture is God-breathed. Now, why did, why did we get to this, this inspired word in some versions? Well, Jerome wrote, wrote a version of the Bible, the Latin Vulgate, and, and that's the word, he took the Greek word and, and in Latin translated into a word that, that would mean inspired. Wycliffe, in his English translation, uh, also took then, not based upon the Greek, but he took Jerome's word, the Latin word, and from it he came up with that inspired idea. But if we could go back to the Greek text, the Greek text has this word. The Greek word is theopneososis. It means... God breathed. Theos, meaning God. God breathed the scriptures. God breathed the word. It, it comes from the, the second word, that gnosis word, is the word for breathe, for air. Let me give you a couple of modern examples. Some of you uh, perhaps make use of pneumatic tools. What is that based upon? Well, it's based upon what? A compressor that what? Pumps air, pumps breath. So you have this, this tool that operates based upon air pressure. That word, noma, means in Greek, air, breath. Theos, God, air, God's breath. Or, some of you perhaps get, get cold in your chest and it kind of builds and you get a little difficulty breathing. I'm not talking COVID, okay? And, and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, I, I think you have pneumonia, right? You have trouble with air in your lungs. You have trouble with your breathing. You have trouble with breath. What God gave us in 2 Timothy 3.16 is this. My word 
is breathed out by me. I don't just inspire people to go, you know, I think I'll write a letter to Timothy today. I feel kind of inspired. No, God breathed out that word to Paul. Or to use an Old Testament example, go back with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 5. Genesis 2, 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and, note what he did, breathed God's breath. He breathed into his nostrils the breath, the air of life. And man became a living creature. God God didn't just say, Adam, stand up and live. God demonstrated the breath of God, the power of God's breath. The power of God's air, the nature of God's air, by taking this lifeless hunk of clay that he had formed and literally breathing into his nostrils. The result of which, when the breath of God fills one's life, what happens? Man becomes a living being. All scripture is God's breath. All scripture is breathed out by God. What does that result in? If, as God is saying, scripture, the word, the Bible, is my literal breath breathed into Men who then write my breath, write my air, write my words. What does that mean? Well, it means a whole lot of things, but we're, we're going to limit it this morning to three. It means, one, that the Bible then, the Word of God, must be infallible. Now, take your hymn book, if you would, turn in the back section to where we have the Westminster Confession of Faith. I believe it's page 920. Page 920, under the Confession of Faith, this was written in regards to the scriptures, and that'll make it plain as, we go, as I read it. We may be moved and induced by the testimony of the church to a high and reverent esteem of the holy scriptures, as the heavenliness of the matter, 
The efficiency of the doctrine, the majesty of the style, the consent of all the parts, the scope of the whole, which is to give all glory to God, the full discovery it makes of the only way of man's salvation, the many other incomparable excellencies, and the entire perfection thereof are arguments whereby it doth abundantly evidence itself to be the word of God. Yet notwithstanding, our full persuasion and assurance of the in fallible truth and divine authority thereof is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the word in our hearts. Now notice the confession is saying the word, the scriptures are an infallible truth. Go over to section 9. The infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself. And therefore, when there is a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which is not manifold, but one, it must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. What does it mean that the word of God, the Bible, is God's air, God's breath? It means... That it is true because it is impossible for God to lie. This is infallible, it is true. Why? Because Paul wrote some words? No. Because Moses wrote some words? John wrote some words? No. Because it is God-breathed. God breathed us this word. It comes from God. It does not come from man's mind. It does not come from man's heart. It does not come from man's soul. It does not come from man's hand. It comes from God. Thereby... It has to be. Because of who God is, it has to be truth. There can be no falsehood in it. And it is incapable of teaching any falsehood. Everything becomes then reliable. Absolute truth. What a message to our world and to our culture. Right? Who do you believe today? Who who do you believe? As many arguments for Dr. Fauci, you can find arguments against. As many arguments for the CDC, you can find arguments against. For whatever poll you take on this question, you can find a poll on this. Whatever news agency reports this, you can find a new news agency that reports that. What is truth? Here it is. Here it is. What more can he say than to you he has said? Let me just put it this way. My guess is that too many of us in this room 
have spent countless, countless, countless hours in the last six months listening to people who do not know what truth is. I don't care what side of the aisle they're on. They do not know what truth is because this is truth. And we've sat and we've watched and we've read and we've moved our phone around and we've looked up this one and we've looked up this one and this has collected dust. The one source of truth we have neglected. It is no wonder the church is so confused. It is no wonder the church is so silent in the midst of the breakdown of our culture and of our society. Because we're so busy looking at our phone, looking up the newest article, and we're not reading truth. What more can he say? Do you think God's going to say more through Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, than he is through his word? Do you think you're going to find more truth there than you do from the almighty God? See, this is why this is so relevant for our society and for our lives today. What did the psalmist say? I'm not going to fear. Why? Why am I not going to fear? Because I read a report that says this. No, I'm not going to fear because I've read this. Right? Because this is God-breathed, it is infallible. But not only is it infallible, it is also inerrant. Meaning that every fact, every event, every quotation, every person is historically true. Now, we, we have to be a little careful with this, right? Right? Because if we say, see, now there is a certain sense in which you and I say, every word here is true. But not every word is truth. You say, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is this. There are many quotations in this word of unbelievers. They're not speaking the truth. It's true that unbelievers said it. It's true that was the expression of that unbeliever. But that doesn't make it the truth. So when we say the word is inerrant, we mean every single statement is a fact. We don't shy away from any single statement of Scripture. It is fact. Where else can you find that today? What more can he say than to you he has said? Where else are you going to find something that is not only infallible, but also inerrant? And thirdly, it is changeless. doesn't change 
based upon the season of the year, based upon the political climate, based upon who's in office or who's on the Supreme Court, this truth doesn't change. Doesn't change based upon how many cases there are today as there were five weeks ago. Doesn't change. God's truth abideth still. God speaks in Malachi 3.16, I, Jehovah, I, the Lord, your God, I, your covenant God, change not. Well, if God's being changes not, then his breath, his breathed out air, his word, doesn't change either. Doesn't change because of scientific inquiry. It doesn't change because of enlightenment doesn't change because a church says, oh, we don't believe that anymore. It doesn't change because the Pope says, oh, I've had a new revelation. What more can he say than to you he has said? God's word doesn't change because somebody had some great experience and, and says, oh, God spoke to me and, and what he said and this and this passage, that's no longer true. It's now this. God's word doesn't change. Well, I just feel in my heart that although God said it in his word, I just feel in my heart right now that that wouldn't be the right thing to do. I, Jehovah, change not. The Bible is God-breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by the living, almighty God. Secondly, the Bible is a revelation. Now, God provides, has provided, did provide a general revelation. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 that, that all men, should be able to see and acknowledge God's power and his divinity by the created world. But men, because of sin, are blind to that. Nobody is born into this world today going, hey, God exists. No, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. But God not only has revealed himself in that created world, which men are blind to, God reveals himself, you see, in this word. That's what this is. It is the revelation of God. God is coming to you and I and saying, this is who I am. Almighty God, the maker of heaven and earth, one who holds the universe in his hand, the holy, omnipotent, almighty God comes to you and says, let me tell you who I am. Here, I'll breathe out 
the very word. This, is, this isn't something you have to listen to somebody else about. This, this is me breathing out. I'm revealing myself to you. I'm telling you about myself. I'm telling you about you. I'm telling you about my son. And I'm telling you about grace. I'm telling you about mercy. I'm telling you about love. I'm telling you about an atonement for your sin. I'm telling you about the one and only possible means of your salvation. I'm telling you how it's all going to end. I tell you how it began. So now when you look at creation, you can see it because you have my breathed out words. You have my air. My breath, my truth. I come to you and spend some time telling you who I am. But the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, reminds us of something else as well. Hebrews, chapter 1. There is not only a general revelation, there's not only this special revelation that, that we refer to as the scriptures, there, there is another as well. We don't usually talk about it in this way, but this is what Hebrews is after. Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken, notice the whole spoken, to us, by his son. Not only has God given us a world in which he reveals himself to us. Not only has he given us his word by which he reveals himself to us. He has given to us his own son. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The full radiancy of his glory. In the person of his son Jesus Christ. God has revealed himself to us. When we come to this table this morning. This is a revelation of God. God is saying look at my son. Look at what he did. Look at his sacrifice. Look at his love. God reveals himself to us in his word. Thirdly, God's word is truth. Now it was interesting in the Westminster Confession that article one, it's the, the fifth paragraph, talks about there are lots of ways. And, and we'll get into that in the weeks to come. If I haven't hit on your favorite subject, I probably will before we're done with this series, Lord and willing. But, but that paragraph goes on to talk about the fact there's lots of ways to determine that the Bible is true. But it all hinges on one thing. See, the unbeliever is blind. To this truth. The unbeliever is deaf 
to this truth. The unbeliever has a heart hardened, stone cold heart against this truth. They reject it. Oh, they may read it, they may talk about it, but they do not accept it as God breathed. But you and I do. You and I, you're going, you're preaching to the choir, Pastor Bob. Probably am. Good. How is it that you and I view this word so differently than billions of people on this planet? God gave you a gift. The gift of faith. The work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So that when you read this word, you do not read words upon a page. You do not read Shakespeare. You read God-breathed. God-word. God's air. God's truth. The difference is that the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and opened our ears and opened our hearts. I give you all sorts of facts about the Bible and all of its authors all working together, but an unbeliever is going to deny that. No, nothing you lay before them is going to convict them that, oh yeah, it's true. It's only when the Holy Spirit... Now think of this. God has revealed His truth to you, His breathed out word, but the only way you can grasp and understand and believe that it's His word is if He also pours out into your heart the Holy Spirit. Now think of all that God has done. What do we do with this? How much time are we in this? Let me give you three applications very quickly. One, if the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God, is breathed out, it's God's breath. Man, we got to be reading this. Nothing replaces this. No work of man, no devotional. They're all good. They're nice supplements. They add to it. They're help. They're beneficial. But they don't replace the breathed out word. Do you realize that every Christian word that has ever been written could not be written without the breathed out word of God? Read it. Study it. Study it. Iron sharpens iron. 
The only way for, for us to, to grow and deepen our understanding of this breathed out word of God is God gives to us the corporate body of Christ, the church by which we grow, we build, we sharpen. And, and I'll testify it, and we could, we could spend the rest of the morning and the afternoon listening to testimonies from this group. And, and I'll just use one example of our Thursday morning Bible study. It's not that the leader is so brilliant and so good at bringing things out. Everyone in that group will almost to a person say, that which makes the biggest impact upon their heart and life is hearing their fellow believers testify to God's truth of talking this out, of ironing, sharpening iron. Iron by itself, rust. But when you got two believers, three believers, four, five, ten, rubbing together, sharpening one another, God blesses that. His word tells us that. Oh no, I don't need that. I can do it on my own. I know everything there is to I don't need anybody else's input. What arrogance. But there is a third thing. Not only are we to be reading, 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 reading this word. I mean, this is God speaking to us. Why, why would we not want to just absorb as much, as much, as much as we can? Why would we not want to study it, to learn, to dig in? But it's also listening to the preaching of it. Michael Horton to use the words of someone else, wrote, when the minister is faithfully proclaiming the text, drawing on his careful study, possible alternative interpretations, and other tools of pastoral scholarship, he is addressing Christ's people. This is humbling, folks. Listen to that. He is addressing Christ's people in the voice of God himself. That's what happens here. Makes my knees shake. This is the voice of God himself. And I know some are at home, okay, because they're sick and ill. We'll pray for your healing this evening. Some of you are at home and have stayed home because you've been a little weird, leery of COVID and you have some physical issues. You're taking good precautions. I'm not speaking to you. Those of you who are involved in works of mercy, not speaking to you. Those of you who make your living off the necessity of having to melt cows at certain times, I'm not speaking to you. Those of you with young children that you just find it hard and difficult to be in church on a regular basis, I'm not speaking to you. The person I'm speaking to is the person who is just too lazy to come to church today. And it was just easier to sit 
on your chair and drink a cup of coffee in your PJs than it was to go through the effort of getting dressed up and of coming to church. You are hearing my words. You are listening to this message. But there is something about the preaching of the word of God with the presence of God's people that is unique and different. And I'd urge you, if you've gotten into the habit, it's just laziness. It was just convenience. Oh, you could have driven in from camping or whatever, but ah, it's just a lot easier to just stay here and put a, flip up the thing and watch. What's the difference? The difference is this. Here, God's Spirit works in a way He does not work through that screen. Now, given all the precautions, just understand this is God speaking to us. What an amazing thing. In conclusion, then, last point. The breathed out word of God. Love it. Believe it. Cherish it. Almighty God is speaking to you. To you. Father, we do thank you for your word. What more can you say? than what you have breathed out to us in your word. Thank you for loving us so much that you breathed truth for all generations in and through the word become flesh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and God's people say, Amen.